Hello and welcome to this week's Pingan.com Norwich City podcast and we are looking back on a very, very eventful 3-1 home defeat to Manchester United for Norwich City on Sunday. Sorry we're coming to you a little bit later uh, than normal, but that Sunday 4.30 kickoff time has slightly thrown us out of whack. I am your usual host, Dave Freezer, and I am joined by a couple of riverenders, let's say. Uh, Ian Clark, who still sits in the top tier. Connor Southwell, who used to sit in the bottom tier, but is now alongside me and Paddy in the press box, of course. Uh, gents, how are you? Clarky, how, how was the five-a-side this week? Uh, not too bad. We won five-two, uh, which was which was pretty decent. So uh, it's a any new... good saves. There was a couple. Yeah, I was uh, I've knackered another finger. I think that's four four out of the ten fingers. I know currently nursing injuries, <laughs> but I refuse to retire. So, um, but it was good to get a win in. Connor, are you much of a footballer when it comes to out on the pitch? Um, I've never never seen you play. Um, that might not be a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was okay. Um, I, I'm probably. Better when I was younger than, than when I grew up. I had no pace. Which when is, you were which younger, you weren't nearly fifty, mate. I had no pace, so that was my issue. I can get away with that. But when I was about nine, I could That's get away with that. Goal. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good shout. But no, I had a, I had a little stint at Cambridge United. Um, really? that, that's, that was about the height of my football career. But um, no, not too bad. Okay, I, I once played abroad, you know. Kick around in Turkey was a great fun. There you go, you learn something new every day, don't you? Um, do stay tuned as well, we've got a competition for you. Um, don't often have one of those on the podcast, but it, it is a cracker. You may well have noticed that, um, well, I hope you noticed anyway, that me and Connor went along to our first Norwich City sticker book swap shop, which was held at the club's fan hub in uh, Gerald Intersport in the city centre last week. Uh, had a chat with Ben Godfrey and Todd Campwell, and while we were there, we thought we'd get them to sign their stickers. So we have got two to give away and we're going to split them up. So two winners. Uh, one will get a Todd Campwell signed sticker for their album and one will get a signed Ben Godfrey sticker. So that will be in part two. Um, we've got a, a teaser for you to answer and uh, the answers will come in by email if you would. But we will crack on with the game to start with. And that 3-1 defeat to Man United, we'll, we'll try not to talk too much VAR, but obviously we are going to have to, to cover that. But Clarkey, in terms of the performance overall and the results, uh, can Norwich sort of quibble too much with the outcome? No, we were we were second best in every area. Um, for me, it's just really disappointing to feel so flat after a game against United. Clearly the City game was huge and brilliant and everything else, but... Um, in the past, if we lost to Man United, it's normally we've, we've given it a good go. We've been beaten by a better team, but we've we've given it a, a decent crack. I just felt we, from almost from the start, we just really we went on it. We were overrun in the middle, defensively naive quite a lot of the time. I think if it hadn't been for a certain Dutch um, gloveman, we'd have been <laughs> we'd have been nursing a really really bad defeat. Yeah, an inspired performance from Tim Krul, wasn't it, Connor? Um, could it have been five or six if it wasn't for Tim or is that a little bit unfair on the outfield players no I don't think it is I think it could have been quite easily um, a scoreline that, that was a lot heavier than, than the one that it ended up being uh, I don't know if Tim Krul's been watching you play Clarky but that, was, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that, that first save from Martial was incredible one, one of the best I've seen in, in the flesh I think uh, and then of course the two penalty saves as well where um, he was so theatrical in the build-up I'm, I'm amazed he didn't get a, a yellow card but no Norwich uh, owe him a lot because uh, that result could easily have well you're looking at three goals more really aren't you from, from those opportunities so we could be say, talking about a 6-1 defeat rather than a 3-1-1 so yeah they've, they've got a lot to thank Tim Krul for and I think they'll be hoping that that injury isn't too bad 
Yeah, of course, him and Amadou colliding as they tried to prevent Martial making it 3-0, but uh, both just ended up limping away with knee injuries. Amadou finishing the game up front, or loosely up front, just sort of trying to make a nuisance of himself, wasn't he? And there was, you could see there was a moment with uh, where Krull was inhibited when um, it was Fred, wasn't it, went round him, and thankfully Tetti had got back to cover because Krull just couldn't get down, could he? He was... He was uh, not moving well but while we were in the stadium after the game you know after interviews filming our videos bits and pieces I did see Tim uh, walk past on his way out of the stadium he didn't look to be limping too badly so um, we will uh, wait and see we might have to wait until Friday for a full update on that from Daniel Farkas pre-match press conference ahead of the Brighton trip on Saturday um, but we're, we're hoping we might be able to, to get a little bit of news uh, ahead of that but we'll see everyone, everyone will very much have their fingers mm. crossed for that one won't they I, I guess if you had an injury like that every time you feel anything in an area and clearly that ACL he had in his knee was mm. horrendous so I suppose once he once he went down with a with a niggle he would have been concerned and then clearly the club would have been concerned so I guess they may hopefully be a bit over over cautious for him as well I mean that that's a major as you sort of alluded to there it's a major injury he had at Newcastle and he's, he's almost had to rebuild his career after that so mm. um, for him to suffer that a second time round would, would be pretty devastating for, for him mentally you think given um, he, he spoke after promotion about the, the dark place he'd been in so um, yeah we I think everyone's hoping that that, that isn't as bad as first feared because it really would uh, put the, the cherry on, on top of the cake of what has been an, an awful injury situation I think and uh, that's that's the last thing Norwich can do with at the moment given where they are and where their confidence is at the moment I think well, While we're on the subject then say worst case scenario Tim Krull is ruled out for Brighton hopefully even if that was the case it isn't, we're not talking anything major do you bring Ralph Fairman straight back in given that he's been recovering from a groin injury or do you go with Michael McGovern given that he had a bit of recent action? I'd go McGovern yeah. Uh, I think Farmer's a better keeper, but I think the point you make is right that um, McGovern's had more recent, um, you know, experience playing and probably a, a, a less of a risk, which we can't really afford at the moment. Yeah, I think he, he did play for Northern Ireland in the Czech Republic as well, yeah. didn't he? So he has got that bit of recent action. And I think, if I remember rightly, off the top of my head, McGovern was in goal for the five nil at Brighton, though. Uh, if uh, which, which was obviously a, a horrible day when Russell Martin um, came out really pumped up after the game because it, well, it was a humiliation yeah. under Alex Neil really wasn't it it was a, a real horrible day but the same for you Connor would you go with Michael McGovern no I think I, I'd go for Fearman in, in fairness um, I, I, I just think that's what Farker will do given that they they spent a, a fair whack of a loan fee on him and uh, he seems to be back in training so I think even if he's 90% there that, that they'd rather go with him given that they pretty much played him with one leg at Crystal Palace albeit that he came off after 20 minutes um, and I think given how McGovern played in possession of the football I think I think that really mm. um, didn't help Norwich's game at all so so yeah I, I think I'd lean more towards Ralph Fearman than Michael McGovern That sounded like a bit of a character assassination there didn't it? Sorry. Oh yeah he was in the fight not from you from me <laughs> oh, <right. Okay. laughs> I mean, just reminding people he was in goal I, I, I'm pretty sure I am right in saying that I haven't double checked it but uh, I'm not saying that <laughs> we could blame that 5-0 <laughs> defeat squarely on Michael <laughs> McGovern clearly but um, yeah yeah uh, Let's just hope that Krull's injured and that we don't have to cross that bridge. Let's do it then. VAR, video assistant referee. Are they an assistant referee or are they just the the referee in these instances now? I think they are. They just seem to to be, A, they are are totally um, removed and and there doesn't seem to be any discussion. It's a bit like, we are going to review it and we've made this decision, you know, up yours, ref. Um, And even though I sit at the top of the river end, when, um, when James went down... 
we could see the ref clearly, you know, couldn't have been clearer with his no penalty, waved his arms in the way that they do, and um, he basically said no way was it a penalty. I'm having some trouble oh. with the connection. <laughs> We've got a, uh, a fourth guest in the room. <laughs> So it's not me. Someone on series joining in the conversation. It's my very Australian series. Maybe it's maybe it's VAR <laughs> overruling our our pod. But uh, no, so he couldn't have been clearer, could he? That it wasn't a penalty, and, and the game carried on, didn't it? And all yeah. of a sudden, someone decides that it was, and I don't know. I just think I just think it's it's crazy, and and the, it's, it's to me it's just ruining live football. Connor, as you wrote in your in your very good column that. It's just taken away what what should be happening. You know, refs should be in charge if they if they need some if they need some help. That's absolutely fine. But just to take decisions making away from them just seems wrong. You, you compare it to rugby and the common sense approach of that. I, I think everyone knows I'm pretty keen on my rugby. You probably saw my tweets after Saturday's game. Yeah. But um, you look at that and there are various different situations. You know, they can just say try or no try and pretty much put it on uh, the TMO to make the decision. Or the referee watches it on the big screen. Yeah. And while we all stood there waiting to find out whether that was going to be a penalty, this first one, when Dan James and Godfrey had come together, the referee has stood there next to Norwich and Man United players with a massive big screen in front of him mm. with just a big purple graphic saying VAR decision pending. Yeah. Why can't you show it on the big screen so the referee can see it? You know, how big is that screen? Absolutely. <laughs> he literally could be watching the same thing that the VAR is seeing yeah. so that they make that decision together. And frankly, this one, I mean, I have no problem with them going to a VAR check on this one because I, I am a fan of VAR and I think that once the... Uh, problems with it are ironed out it will benefit the game and I think it already has I think it's just becoming an easy thing for people to go on about every week after every game if there's a VAR decision people go oh VAR's ruining the game I don't think that's true at all but this was the wrong decision they looked at it and made the wrong call going to VAR in that you know in real life, in real time when they came together I wasn't certain mm. so fair enough it's a penalty decision it goes to VAR but from there for somebody to have looked at replays for a minute and get the, what is pretty universally been agreed was the wrong decision is ridiculous isn't it and wasn't it two and a half minutes the whole thing was it two and a half well, some, some, it didn't, didn't seem as long as that to me well, I thought yeah, it was about maybe some of the others over the weekend were, were that long so yeah it was uh, it was about two and a half minutes which when you consider they had what three minutes added on at, at the end of the mm. half there's, there's a case to say that they didn't really factor that into things um, mm. given there was what two penalties two major VAR calls that took probably about three minutes and then any time for, for stoppages as well so so there's that aspect of it I've, I've got a few problems with it I think I'm, I'm, I'm pro VAR but probably anti how they're currently using it um, I, I think I probably sit in between both camps at the moment um, because I think fundamentally and I, I get the rugby comparisons but from what I've seen of rugby I'm not a massive fan so I'm sure you'll correct me um, the game seems a little bit more stop-starty although yeah, it is. So, so maybe there's a bit more of a licence for, for those stoppages in play but I think fundamentally we've got to remember where VAR has come from and that's from managers every week coming out post-match and just absolutely hammering referees whether those decisions have been correct or not in retrospect um, and, and so they've almost tried to deflect the criticism from referees and place them onto a situation where they are trying to help them fundamentally but all you've got now is um, as we saw on, on Sunday the case where a referee is making a decision he's perfectly positioned makes the right call we're then looking at video for, for two minutes um, the crowd inside the stadium are, are frustrated um, because they, oh, don't, yeah. they, 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 don't know what, they don't know what's going on they, they don't know what the referee is saying to, to the, um, the VAR official and, and vice versa. So that conversation is happening. You've then got players getting frustrated. 
the game becomes a farce really because there's just this lull in play that is unneeded. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer actually summed it up quite well where he went, if, if you're looking at a decision for two or three minutes, then realistically it's not in the clear and obvious yeah, aspect of it. But then equally you've got the subplot of we've had, what, 100 games I think with VAR in. Prior to this weekend there was no overturn penalties and no red cards and then after this weekend I think there was four overturned. So they've lowered that bar and seem not to have told anyone right. so then that communication aspect of it again which I think fundamentally it comes down to is is blurred because supporters don't know what the threshold is players are confused because suddenly clear and obvious errors are now um, going under a different definition and so it, it all becomes a bit clouded and then when you add to that the goodness knows why they're not using the pitch side monitors but there has to be some leadership on that because for me, if I'm a referee making a decision, it helps me sell a decision a lot more if I'm going over and yeah. it makes me look like I, I have the final say on it. Um, I'll use the comparison, it's kind of vague, but if you think of a sporting director at a football club, certainly in Norwich's aspect, you have him and then you have the head coach. If you've got a sporting director saying, I want to sign this player, and the head coach doesn't have a say in it, then that doesn't end mm. up well, right? So, so we've kind of got a situation where we've got a referee refereeing from 140 miles away when the initial referee made the correct decision at the time, we're just reaching that decision far later. Um, I almost wonder if we need to strip it back and almost work on certain things at certain times. So almost have this season dedicated to improving offsides and making sure they're slick and introducing it like that. But um, yeah, what the solution is, I don't know. But if it carries on in its current form, then uh, it's, it's going to make watching football, certainly for, for supporters, very difficult, I think. And the Arsenal one, where the goal at the end got disallowed... I mean, I thought that was a wrong decision because, if anything, the Arsenal lab was pushed, which would have led to a penalty, but then VAR ruled the goal out because it claimed that the, um, the Arsenal player made a foul. So, and that took a couple of minutes, didn't it? And, and, yeah. and the joy of that last-minute winner was just all ripped away. That's, that one's too picky, isn't it? The Arsenal one, yeah. yeah. Uh, was it Callum uh, Chambers? Or? Well, there was loads going on. Everyone was fouling everyone, and you know the ref just you know, you, in that case, I think you just have to let it go on. If you know if you've got loads of fouls going on from different people, which then meant there was a goal, mm. um, so that was a shambles. They've, they've still got a referee like they're on the pitch. The VAR yeah. still has to think about it. That. Uh, you know how it was in real time nobody at that Arsenal game was saying that that goal should have been left out uh, ruled out because of that and I think if we come on to the second one with the Todd Cantwell handball elbow ball <laughs> type one by the laws of the game that is handball they've got that right haven't they by slowing it down in super slow motion to see whether he was just inside the, the area the referee had had missed it, but I suppose Fred had put a shot on goal. That may well have been going on target. It may well have gone into the net. So, if a defender, uh, if a defender's arm in an unnatural position stops the ball from going towards a goal, then all right, that is probably a penalty. Uh, so I don't think anyone's got too many issues with that. Are you both pretty much the same on that. No, I, I think the second case is actually a, a stronger case for why VAR is needed because I think the right decision was reached. It took a bit more time but I think eventually they, they got the right decision and unlike the first one it, it wasn't a case of if he'd handled it it was a case of seeing whether or not he was in the box so that one I can understand a bit more but again supporters didn't know that was the case they didn't really know what they were checking for because particularly if you, you were sitting in the Barclay you see a load of bodies going to block a football yeah, yeah. and then you see a corner given and then you see that the finger on the ear and the only time we, we see that TV signal is if they're overturning the decision. Now, for me, that needs to be the decision to mm. let everyone in the stadium know that VAR is being used as opposed to just placing one finger on the ear, which if you're sat at the top of the river end, yeah. like, like Clark is, that's incredibly hard to see. So 
for me, it just comes down to communication. I don't think they've got it quite right at the moment. And if they've got confidence in their decision making, why not show the video? Like, like when you yeah. on match day, you see all the repeats, don't you? Well, show that live, you know. And if, if they if they don't want to do that, yeah. it means they're not confident in their decisions. But it comes back to if you're at home on watching it on TV, you get to see the replays, you yeah. get to see what's going on, and those in the stadium don't. So it's almost they're being put those in the stadium and those who are paying the money to go to the games mm. are being put secondary to those TV audiences. Oh, definitely, but definitely and, does that. And absolutely, and, th- and this is again a massive part of it. Is it being brought in for the right reasons, or is it being brought in to enhance the experience for those watching the Premier League abroad at the moment I think there's an argument to say that it's not being brought in for, for the right reasons yeah because when you watch a game as a neutral like we did a lot of the World Cup for instance you see VAR and you love the drama don't you when you see Ronaldo there looking shifty thinking oh am I going to get sent off for this mm. everyone loves the drama of it don't they but when it's your team and you have uh, you know two penalties given against you you're anti-VAR aren't you so well, Tottenham Manchester City in the Champions League another great example yeah, well, we were all watching that going oh this is great and, yeah. and yet in reality for those supporters in the, in the ground it was probably just amusement wasn't it yeah, so, Tottenham were so lucky with that yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous it would have been a much better final mm, no doubt if absolutely. Man City got through as well but beyond all that then let's park VAR because everybody gets sick and tired of it frankly don't they but strangely VAR isn't involved for some reason in the Premier League have decided to check that goalkeepers are on the lines and as brilliant as Tim Krill did to save penalties he was well off his line for both of those penalties I said it in real time didn't I Connor you know the referee should be watching that if he and the linesman and the linesman it's ridiculous and you know, he should have got yellow cards for time-wasting. If that had been an away goalkeeper in front of the Barkley acting like that before a penalty, people would have wanted to lynch him. It would people, They would have been going absolutely bonkers, wouldn't they, in the Barkley? So it's a ridiculous game sometimes, isn't it? But, you know, all we can say is that they were two good saves. We know that Tim Krull is very good at reading them. He, of course, came in the world, on in the World Cup 2014 quarter-final against Costa Rica for Holland. Saved two penalties to, to take them through to the semi-final. So... It's something that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer play, praised him for after the game. But it was more than that, wasn't it? It was the other saves that were so crucial. So it's funny funny to think that um, at this point that his status as number one was even under question in the summer, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, there was one early on, which you say, with his leg, wasn't it? Clearly there was a Martial one. There was another one in the second half, with his, I think, with his legs. Greenwood, yeah. Greenwood, when he yeah, in. yeah. So that's five top draw so I thought the second penalty particularly was a was a great save, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and I just think that the the way that he's clearly a leader, um, the way he's with the players, and the way he's with the crowd, you know, and, and it's just so annoying that the momentum we got from those two saves on both occasions pretty quickly we threw away just by sort of naivety and yeah. just not reading the game probably. Yeah, um, well, just to look at the the stats, I didn't make a note of them. Uh, United had 21 shots and 11 on target. You know, that can't continue. That's been that it was the same with Villa, same yeah. with uh, same with Man City, same with Chelsea, wasn't it? That there was a lot of shots conceded. Uh, 54% possession, 10 corners to Norwich's one. So mm-hmm. I think if those stats don't tell you that United deserved it, then um, you're looking at it through very much um, yellow and green glasses. There was a uh, high to finish on at least. You know, the mood at, at one point was feeling like uh, we were going to be leaving Carrow Road feeling very drab. But thankfully, O'Neill Hernandez was brought on at half time alongside Marco Stevenman. They replaced Campwell and Leitner. Daniel Farker reacted to the situation. Um, pleased to see that, Connor, um, in terms of Daniel making positive changes. I mean, for me, Leitner just did not work at all. 
Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think that that experiment with Lightning didn't work really at Bournemouth. I, th- I think he was he's probably in the side as a matter of association with that result, as opposed to perhaps his, his individual contribution. But no, he was better at Bournemouth than he was against United. Yeah, he, he was. was Almost yeah. anonymous against United. Yeah, he? he was. He was very. I think floaty was the word yeah. I used to you at the time. Just sort of in between what Norwich were doing defensively mm. and not getting close enough to Puky to influence things. So he was kind of making. Well, he wasn't really doing much to be honest, and uh, it was a bit of a passenger. And when you're in that situation, you're, you're always going to be targeted as as the one to to come off to try and change things, which I, I think Onel Hernandez did. Um, injected something that Norwich haven't had in in, in a long time, and that's pace. Um, mm spoke after Bournemouth and said the numerous times they, they had opportunities to go on counter-attacks at, at, at Dean Court and just didn't quite have the, the pace to bring the ball over the halfway line with any real intent. Um, but it was also nice to see someone get quite close to Puki. I mean, we saw throughout that second half, he was pretty much pushed up on the halfway line, um, which placed a, a massive onus on Jamal Lewis, who, who was obviously ill, and then uh, Sam Byron when he came on to be defensively resilient. But... Norwich had to chase the game at that point and um, considering he was against Wambasaka who I think is an excellent defender um, I thought he made a real nuisance of himself it would have been quite nice to see him down the right and, and having a go at Ashley Young because for me that's where United felt most vulnerable yeah. If you're a defender what don't you want you know a strong quick direct aggressive um, talented striker winger striker running at you and causing a nuisance and doing something a bit different and being tricky so I think he, he to me was well Krul was clearly the man of the match but Hernandez was was a real the second the only other probably positive thing from Saturday and he's I guess he's got to be a start for Brighton now um, because that's you know that's what we now need to do to inject that life back into our attacking play which has been a bit lacking in the last few games I think I saw the start that wan made 11 tackles in the game and that was the joint most of any player in a Premier League game so far this season yeah. um, and Hernandez also made more dribbles I think it was nine or attempted more dribbles which I think it was nine uh, than any other player on the pitch and he was only obviously on the pitch for yeah. half the time yeah. so um, yeah a, a positive at the very least um, and before we come on to to, to his goal let's, um, let's just hear a little bit from O'Neill um, uh, very uh, enthusiastic guy to speak to always uh, always very happy but um, he uh, of course was asked about being the first Cuban to score a goal in the Premier League which he was very proud about so here is um, a little bit from O'Neill Hernandez I was dreaming since I was a kid about the Premier League about the first league and it's the best league in the world and to score their goal it's incredible and I'm happy and proud for that and yeah we have to keep going on and work hard for more that's incredible I think I have uh, laid a lot of messages uh, from a lot of Cubans and yeah I'm proud for that Tim Crow, have you ever seen oh a Cuban make two I, I th- I, yeah I told him before <laughs> when I was in a call buff and I saw him and I said to him man I never saw a goalkeeper holding two penalties in a game and then I say to him how we can lose this game normally we have to win and shoot them here uh, outside the stadium this was incredible really I'm so proud of him he's so good man really shows, like that shows his character as well the yeah. way he was whipping up the crowd before exactly it's, that's Tim Krul and that's why we like him how he, how he is <laughs> And yes, it was O'Neill with the goal, um, and it was it was a decent individual finish. I mean, I thought Scott McTominay had actually been excellent for United, far better than I thought he was. But then O'Neill just shows that determination. And and if Wampasaka hadn't played as well, um, 
he could have had a much bigger impact on the game, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and he, he forced the error, didn't he? And, and that's what, yeah. you know, we can say it came from a mistake, but the mistake was forced. And it was hardly a tapping, was it? He ran, yeah. I don't know how many people he ran past, but and the directness he had and a, a great finish in the corner. I mean, you know, we know De Gea is a decent keeper and there wasn't much of a gap there for him to get through, but he positioned it really well. So, yeah, thought he was really good. He went close with another one, whether it was just wide, mm. didn't he? Um, at any point, sat in the crowd, like, did you feel like this could be on? The, the comeback might just be possible. I think if you know, in a, in a bizarre way, if, if we'd have got one more, you know, quickly, you don't know. And we've 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 seen these stirring comebacks yeah. at Cow Road a lot. And um, I, there was a bloke actually who sat near us who shouldn't have been there. It was actually a United fan. Someone had let him in, um, and. I could hear him talking and he was he was a bit worried because when we were starting to go forward you could tell that I suppose they've had a lot of insecurities and doubts this season and I think if if we could have got another one but we didn't so we unfortunately didn't. <laughs> quite but, yeah but I think Hernandez does give us a bit of hope now that we can start getting some goals and, and making a danger in the opposition half but Caro wasn't too bad. You know, it wasn't like Norwich boot off or anything, was it? United showed their true colours, showed that their position in the table was false, which you, you could have predicted ahead of the kickoff. Really, they turned up, didn't they? And their 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 players that we all know. Are, you know, how much is Marcus Rashford worth? Hundred hundred million. Martial probably not too far from that. If he actually is is informed, Dan James is proving to be a real good sign. They got a, a lot of top quality, but. I didn't feel as we left the stadium, or certainly as the fans left the stadium, that the mood was too bad. Worried, of course, but it, it wasn't totally negative, was it? No, I, I don't think it was. I, I think it was a little bit disappointing in terms of the way the crowd reacted when Norwich went 1-0 down. I think from there it felt quite resigned after quite a good start. Um, and I don't know if it's just reflective of where Norwich are at the moment or, or perhaps the way performances are going, but... I think most supporters, in reality, probably knew that this was going to be a tough season, there was going to be challenges, and that they would do very, very well to stay up, given the squad they have, given it was a squad that was predicted not to get out of the Championship, let alone to stay in the Premier League, and, and they've not massively um, improved it, given or, or signed done tons of players like Aston Villa have, so that expectation isn't there. And they're, go they're going to need the, the fan base, and, and to me it just felt a little bit flat. And um, I don't know if it's because of Manchester City and the hangover of that, and everyone's talking about how they need to replicate that. For me, they need to almost put that in a box and forget about it. For, ne for now, it's about making sure they, they get themselves back on the straight and narrow, because, I mean, you read the stats out there, tw 20 shots they're conceding at re in regular sort of intervals in, in, in certain games and, and that's a massive concern because if, if those statistics keep up then they're not going to stay in the Premier League and um, the best we saw Norwich defensively was, was when they had the crowd on their side Manchester City and Bournemouth stick up that second half they, the fans were excellent so yeah I, I don't think the mood was terrible I, I kind of felt like there was a bit of expectation which was quite funny given who the opponents were but I think that's, that's the, the discussion around Manchester United at the moment um, but yeah, I was I was a little bit disappointed with the crowd, to be honest. Okay. Oh, well, just to finish uh, before we look ahead to to the games to come and, and Brighton on Saturday, and um, there was the it was supposed to be a moment's silence for for Duncan Forbes, of course, club icon. I think you can safely use that word, can't you? Um, of course, he was well before 
Mine Connor's time. So it, I, I honestly, I felt a little bit useless last week because I couldn't really comment too much. I'd never, never even interviewed Duncan because obviously he'd, he'd been ill for for quite a, a long time before he sadly passed away last week in uh, in, in his late seventies. But it was due to be a moment of silence, and it ended up being um, a, a hearty round of applause, didn't it, Clarky? So sad, but a, a nice send off. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was spontaneous. The applause. Yeah. I, I sensed that when the stadium announcer was going through the thirty-three years he'd been with the club, all the years, he'd, all the years he'd played, the you know the appearances and all of that sort of stuff. I think people sort of almost like wanted to applaud that, and then it led into that was what it was going to become, rather than a silence. Yeah. And I mean. I must admit, I think Duncan clearly was known for his for his vocality and, and you know the big voice. So to me, it was actually probably a bit more apt than if it had been. And I always, I always fear with the silence, you're always going to get a couple of idiots who who start making noise and okay. other people try and drain them out. So um, I think actually it was in, in a lot of ways it was it was a good thing to do, and it was it was a great it was a great um, spectacle you know to see him off and the, the, the banners that were in the Barclay mm-hmm. and that fantastic picture that was on the screen. Um, I think it all worked out really well and as a fitting tribute to him. Yeah, he was um, one of my dad's favourite players when when he was growing up. So I, I often heard a lot about Duncan and, and about the you know how much of a leader he was and you know a, a tough centre back and things like that. And I, I think growing up that I was sort of Malcolm Mackay was pointed out a little bit in terms of he's that type he was that type of mould yeah. is, is that a sort of fair comparison absolutely. almost absolutely I mean you know we'll say about Duncan the ball got past him the man got past him and they were both so um, <laughs> uh, you know so so many great stories about you know his leadership his strength um, you know so I think somebody told me that Kevin Keegan said he was the toughest opponent he ever played against which um if that if that's true says a lot because obviously Keegan came against some pretty brutal centre halves. But no, he was he was that proper you know proper Scottish you know cut from granite, um, no messing around. You know his voice, you know, you, you, would, you did hear it in Yarmouth as as so many people have said. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com/channel/archant. Okay, just a quick bit of housekeeping then. Um, if you are interested in sponsoring the Pink and Podcast, then please do get in touch with matt.withers at archon.co.uk. Uh, this is your podcast as much as it is ours. So if you uh, ever want to get in touch with us, you can email thepinkin at archon.co.uk or you know where we are on social media and you'll need that email address in just a minute because I'm going to kind of come on to uh, our competition uh, which, as we trailed earlier, is uh, a, sti- a signed sticker of Todd Cantwell and a signed sticker of Ben Godfrey from the players themselves. We managed to get them to do that last week. And um, if you would like them for your book, for your collection, we have set you a, a little teaser, which hopefully isn't too easy to Google. We wanted something uh, that uh, wasn't something you could just go on to soccer base or transfer market or something like that and just find out. So... Can you guess who this player is? I'm not going to ask you to in case you give it away, but uh, hopefully this isn't too easy. The player was playing for Norwich in the 90s, made 87 appearances, scored 10 goals, and also played for Middlesbrough and Coventry City. If you can tell us who that player is, if you could email thepinken at archant.co.uk, or you can tweet us as well. Uh, We are at Pinken. 
We're also, uh, we'll also put the details on Facebook or Instagram. But uh, we will give those away separately. So one person will get the Todd sticker. One person will get the Ben sticker. And best of luck. I hope uh, I hope I haven't made that too difficult. You both look a little bit perplexed. So uh, hopefully that hopefully hopefully that's, we get some response. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm sure somebody will get that. Yeah. I'll just repeat it. They played in the 1990s. They made 87 appearances for Norwich. They scored 10 goals, and they also played for Middlesbrough and Coventry. Right, we'll move on. And Brighton on Saturday, just uh, briefly, chaps. They got a good result at home against Everton. They won 3-2, although they were perhaps a little bit fortunate with a, a penalty and then a, a Lucas Dina own goal in injury time, uh, handing them the victory. But if you just look at their last five results, so there was they beat Everton 3-2 at home. They lost 2-1 at Villa. Uh, no shame, I suppose Norwich fans can say <laughs> at the moment. They then, of course, won 3-0 at home against Spurs, which was an incredible result. Lost 2-0 at Chelsea, and they also drew 0-0 at Newcastle. So Graham Potter seems to be doing a pretty decent job. He showed real potential as a, as a head coach at Swansea last year, and he's got a real definite style of play. And it, it almost, after Brighton were established under Chris Hewitt, and they brought in some better, more attacking players. And as Norwich fans can relate to, perhaps he wasn't capable of bringing that sort of attacking style through but Potter seems to be doing a decent job doesn't he? Yeah I mean I, I did my column last week on um, on the mini league that Norwich I believe are in and the teams that they're going to they're gonna have to come against to realistically stay up and I, and I put Brighton in that probably more out of um, hope than expectation I think I think they'll be okay and I think you're absolutely right that's a really good analysis of them it's going to be a tough game I think if, clearly every game particularly every away game is going to be tough um, and yeah, they'll they'll be they'll be confident having beaten Everton. I know Everton aren't what they were and what they could be, but it's you know it's still a decent win. So um, we don't we don't go to to try and get a draw deliberately, but I think I'd definitely take a point. They scored twelve, conceded fourteen, as opposed to Norwich who have scored eleven and conceded twenty four. Mm-hmm. So defensively, they've been uh, a fair bit more solid. So the the Hewton days persist slightly for them. They seem to have a decent balance. How would you like to see Norwich approach this one, Conor? Do, do you see Norwich as having an opportunity to maybe get back to sort of their championship best and and what they're what they are best at under Daniel Farker? I think supporters will, will definitely be putting a circle around it is one they think they can get points from on the road um, Brighton are, are a good side actually uh, I, I think Graham Potter's actually kicked them on I think that was always going to go one of two ways they're either going to really struggle or they're actually going to kick on and I, I think he seems to have um, managed to get a bit more out of the attacking players than, than what Chris Hewton managed which uh, perhaps isn't a surprise given what, what we saw at Carrow Road uh, under him but no, I, I think in, in terms of how Norwich need to impro- approach this, I think it's about using that template from Bournemouth. And for me, and I'll keep saying it, it's about balance and, and that mi- how they set up that midfield because that's the area for me that they haven't quite got right so far mm. this season. Um, I mean, we, we sort of point at Bournemouth as the recent example where things sort of clicked, but even then you, you mentioned Leitner earlier on. So it wasn't 100% there. That's where I think Hernandez could be crucial because he could give them something different and, and a bit of an outlet on the left. Um, which might take a bit of a pressure off, off Puki. So, um, yeah, it's, it's about balance for me. If they can almost take that template from Bournemouth and, and build on it and build an attacking structure, um, almost what we saw from, from that last half an hour or, or that half an hour in the, in the second half where they, they were by far the better team. Um, if they can do that over 90 minutes, then there's no reason why they can't get points. But it's, it's gonna, for me, it's, it's about seeing a performance because we haven't really seen a, a complete Norwich performance uh, probably since that Manchester City game and, and I think confidence has been affected by that. I, I think I'll go 
Tribal and Teti as the two holding midfielders because obviously Tribal can be a little bit more attacking and set the, the tempo passing wise and then I would move Kenny McLean into the number 10 role and put Leitner on the bench uh, because that wasn't a good enough performance on Saturday unfortunately didn't work out and we've never really seen Kenny in that position and I just if you're going to start O'Neill Hernandez on the left you've then got a left footer in that position who can perhaps just thread O'Neill in behind a few times uh, perhaps you know try and get Pookie into that channel as well maybe just focus on overloading on the left and him and Wendy are on creating but um I don't know. I, I think it's going to be tough. I, I think I actually predicted Brighton would go down, so it shows um, what I know. Although we're only 10 games into the yeah. season, it can still go wrong. You know, Norwich could still finish mid-table. They could still finish bottom quite comfortably. So, yeah, just finally, Clarkie, do, do, do you feel confident at all that Nor- Norwich are going to be able to get something from this one? I think, you know, we keep talking about season-defining games and periods, but I think these next two games, Brighton and then Watford next a week Friday, um, you know, if... Worst case scenario, we lose both of those games. Mm. I think that really is looking bleak. Um, two good performances, Colin, you're absolutely right about we need those performances. Two good performances and some points. Then you start to think, well, maybe it's more positive as we, as we move on. Um, and certainly, I like the idea of Teti and Tribal. I think you need that. You need that balls in the middle, and there's, there's plenty of creative players around them to, to do that. Um, so, and just just do a little bit of dirty stuff before we can start playing the football. Absolutely, I think I'd uh, I'd go along with that. And yeah, that Watford game that is going to be huge. Um, you know, the Villa game five one then sent us all into a miserable international break, didn't it? <laughs> to, to dwell on it. So let's hope whatever happens at Brighton that they can uh, Friday night under the lights as well, isn't it? On TV, I think the on, Watford game. Yes. Yeah. as well, isn't it? Straight after there the we go. Fireworks. Yeah, the fireworks, fireworks from Norwich Castle, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So oh, it's all set up. It's all set up. It's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks. Thank you very much, Chats, for, for joining me today. Um, top stuff. Uh, please do uh, get involved in the competition. Uh, you can rewind if you need to hear the details again, but we will put them all out on social media as well. Hopefully that's a top prize for you guys to uh, apply for, and uh, we will catch up with you soon. Uh, Connor, you will have your, your terrace talk coming later in this week, won't you? And we will also, of course, have the pre-match press conference on Friday. So we'll, we'll keep it all coming your way, and fingers crossed for Brighton on Saturday. Thanks for listening.